0: And then number four, Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs>
1: that's all it says.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. Just like that's all it says. <laughs> like, I
1: don't Today's know. topic. Samuel L. Jackson. Right.
0: Like I don't even know where does that go? It's about as puzzling as like the Roanoke colony. Like all that's left <laughs> there is Croatian. you know? <laughs> like, I don't know what it means. Like, why is that word there? Like, I
1: don't know. Church. In space.
0: Welcome, everybody. This is our newest episode of Church in Space. In 3D! Ah, we're getting good at this, folks. Uh, my name is Dave Campos. I am pastor of Resurrection
1: Lutheran Church, and with me is Dan. Say hi, Dan. Hi. And
2: Drew. You didn't say hi, Dan. I'm really bad at following instructions. I know. That's why we keep coming here. You missed the Mel Brooks. (laughs) But it it was such low-hanging fruit. I know. know. I read an
0: interview about where he got that joke. The interviewer was like, you couldn't have invented that joke, but I can't remember seeing that joke before I saw one of your movies. He laughed, and I guess he got all his comedy from vaudeville routines. Like That's what he grew up watching. Mm. (laughs) So like, all of his comedy is basically like... Was putting vaudeville routines <laughs> to, to movies. It was,
2: it was an interesting interview. So, getting back on the topic, <laughs> getting back into introductions, and
0: with the other person with us is Drew. Say hi, Drew.
1: Hi, Drew. Yeah, there we go. Hey, See, he gets it. You took the bait.
2: I
0: like fishing, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so, our topic: identity and science fiction and Christianity. Identity. My strongest question about it is always Mass Effect one and two. Okay. No, identity, right? You know, so is Commander Shepard in two actually Commander Shepard? Because she, he, whatever your character is, dies. Yeah. And what they bring back, what they say is, well, we put all sorts of computers in her and they resurrect her and, oh, this actually is Shepard. But is it? <laughs> they blow past that point.
1: Mm-hmm. Like,
0: they talk about it for about a minute and then she or he is, yeah, sure, I'm me. And, <laughs> and then rolls with it, you know, and it's like, Wait a minute. <laughs> like we should we should puzzle over that one just for a second.
2: I was thinking more of identity as what you call yourself. Okay. Rather than, you know, if you die and come back. Well, you know, but it's
0: the same thing, right? Like like what makes you you? What is the essence yeah. of you? I mean, what makes you you, right? Mm-mm.
2: Outside of the church, I'm Andrew, mostly because I choose Drew as like, hey, you actually know who I am mm-hmm. instead of like some stranger coming up to me like I got kind of really freaked out when I started working at Panera. Someone was just calling me Drew. I'm like, you don't know me. Go away, person. God, so, cool. so now it's Andrew um, mm. in a professional stance. Yeah. For people at home, there were air quotes in there, by the way. Mm. Um, I'll add some. Okay, good. <laughs> professional. <laughs> so Dan, with the annoying sound effects for today.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> the crack's getting wider. <laughs> so what are we going to call the crack? We have to identify it. Ooh. I was thinking something that started with a D. Dorian, Hmm. Darren,
1: Durwood. Derek. Derek, it's it. Derek the crack. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Nope. Nope. Nope.
0: Nope. You know, we could talk about identity in other ways, right? Like, I was watching,
1: I like how he resumes, like, we we didn't have the past five minutes of conversation. (laughs) Just roll with it.
0: Um, And so, like, identity is this interesting thing kind of in many ways, right? Because I was watching the Watchmen movie. That movie, right, Mm -hmm. is like, Where do their identities really lie? Is it in the superhero or is it in their lives outside of the superhero? The Batman, you know, it's the same thing.
1: Who is the real person? The real identity Batman or the real identity Bruce Wayne?
0: Rorschach's answer to this question
1: is, I am Rorschach. I'm not Kovacs or whatever. You know, he is the avatar of that very question, Mm -hmm. you know, because he is the one that everybody studies psychologically that... Right, my favorite line defines who Rorschach is. Right, mm-hmm. not physically intimidating, mm-hmm. but in the prison, his great line of "You've made the big mistake. You think I'm stuck in here with you? Right. You're stuck in here with me. Right.
0: You are <laughs> trapped in here with me. Yeah, right, right.
1: I need to read that. Oh, it's good. I know
0: it's good, and the movie like really doesn't do it.
1: Unfortunately, it doesn't do it justice because it's almost a shot-by-shot remake of the panel, so it doesn't add anything into it, and right. you don't get a lot of the layering that more puts into the comic.
0: It's a shot-by-shot of the like main storyline of right. the comics. The comics have like... Side quests? Yeah, basically. I mean, it's actually really complicated,
2: the comic.
1: Yeah, side quests, backstories. Yeah. Right. There's a pirate comic. Of like the old Gold Key comics within the comic.
2: Yeah. So I just need to buy it. Anyway, going back to the identity. Yeah, identity. Bioshock Infinite. I feel like that trope of just finding yourself even like within a game, within a story, is such relatable to people. That's why we see it a whole lot. Trying to find your identity by literally Mm -hmm. finding yourself.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's delve into that. When you're playing a game, who are you? Because when I watch people play games, mm-hmm. it's often not the personality that I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. some people stay themselves mm-hmm. with me in civilization. I can never win through war. Oh. I will what? start. That's the only way I that's... try to win. Oh, no. I'm I can't like, do it. I'm I can't like do a, it.
0: We are launching massive invasions of the planet. I can't. I can't do it. I always
1: win through peace, through diplomacy, or uh, through that's science. That's so boring. I know, but I can't. I've tried. I will make it so you have to win my war. <laughs> I think that means
0: Drew wins, but yes, I, <laughs> I totally get that though, because like getting back to Mass Effect, I can't do a renegade Mass Effect playthrough. Shepard's just an pardon my French, an ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. he's just an objectively awful human being, mm-hmm. like in a renegade playthrough, you know? And, like like I start off making those decisions and I end up always like saving the council and you know yeah.
1: <laughs> like Yeah, I've done the <laughs> yeah. same thing with Civ, right? I've yeah, started yeah. off and I'll conquer the first couple of civilizations near me. Mm-hmm. But I can't go beyond that. It's like, no, no, I have to have art and science.
2: A I cheap think... breathing
0: room.
1: <laughs> yeah. like, that's all I really wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
2: that's one way to win by war, is <laughs> my art and science is better than yours. <laughs> I, I must prove it by throwing <laughs> sticks
1: at you. My
0: art and science is so much better. It's art and science about war.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Even in a war game, I'm a pacifist. So Ooh, that's funny. I tend to be consistent, even mm-hmm. when I'm adopted these game identities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know other people who it's like a switch flips. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And bam, they're like diametrically opposite of who they are and more air quotes, real life.
0: This is Rest World's fundamental issue, right? Like mm-hmm. this was like the TV show's like fundamental question about humans. Like are you black hat or white hat? Does the park reveal who you really are or is it like just a role you're playing yeah when does role playing become who you actually really
1: are inside how do you decide who you are right you Mm -hmm. look at someone like heath ledger Mm -hmm. and it became very clear he got a little more messed up with each role he played Mm -hmm. do you think there's a line at which role playing stops being a game you do it enough you fake
0: it enough it becomes true you know what I mean? LARPing? Yeah, right. You you LARP enough, the LARP becomes real. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's the ultimate fake it till you make it.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And I do think that was Ledger's problem, you know. You meth he's a method actor, so mm-hmm. like you pretend to be these people. It's like, well, if you're depressed and you've got a pill problem and you method act a character who's absolutely nihilistic mm-hmm. in the Joker like that's a bad recipe for throwing you into a really dark place yeah. which it did at some point the role play becomes who you are you
2: know like you fake it enough it is you yeah. you know i mean look at uh mark hamill mark hamill was able to shed the role of luke skywalker as his identity mm-hmm. like i mean harrison ford did all those movies yeah. but Mark Hamill was Luke Skywalker until he was the Joker. And it took him changing mediums yeah. to like actually change identity. And yeah. Then, yeah. yeah,
1: He changed public identity. Mm-hmm. But by all accounts, he didn't change his personal identity. Mm-hmm. Mark yeah. Hamill yeah. is Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. I guess a part of this is we have to define what identity is. Mm-hmm. And then why are some people just looking at the people who've played the Joker mm-hmm. and owned it, owned the role? Great. Why was Mark Hamill able to remain personally Mark Hamill, but change public identity, whereas Heath Ledger, the public identification influenced heavily his personal identification.
2: Mm-hmm. This is unusually heavy for us.
1: It's a genuine question. I don't know why, why and how. How are we
2: defining these things? I think it's how you're seeing yourself. I mean, sense of self is
0: hard to distinguish from identity, but I do think the answer becomes into exactly that. I think whatever Mark Hamill has, he has a strong sense of self when you have a foundation like that, the tree can bend with the wind, so to speak, yeah. but, you know, it doesn't snap it in half. Yeah. But
2: so you're saying identity is a result of yourself.
0: You know, I think having a strong sense of self identity internally, like your inside sense of self-identity helps resist it being eaten by the role play, the actor, you know, the, the character, the, the whatever, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. also like the peer pressure, peer pressure is kind of a form of LARPing, right? <laughs> it's just yeah. LARPing towards, That's... you know, like you're LARPing to fit in, but you know, it's a form of LARPing. Like again, yeah. strong sense of self-identity can help you participate or not participate in those activities and, not get eaten
1: by them. That makes sense. Some wise person said, it's not that power corrupts. Mm -hmm. What power does is reveals what you already were. Because with power, you're not afraid to hide it anymore. So that's why you can have Mm -hmm. some people who, yeah, when they get powerful, they get very mean corrupt, mm-hmm. totalitarian whatever, and yet other people when they get power, they're still good people, they're still. Yeah. And that may still play into what you're saying, right? they, they even though they get wealthy and powerful, yeah. they have a strong sense of self so it doesn't distract them from who they are.
0: Yeah. I like to point this out, but like that that saying power corrupts. Originally, it's not necessarily about the person with power, it's actually about the people around the person with power, Ooh, you know, I didn't that know like that. that like your reasoning becomes motivated based on who's in power and Mm. and how it affects your relationship to power that like it's the relationship to power itself that kind of corrupts people you know that it begins to you know shift so you see it every time one side changes in power and government right you know like the the reasoning shifts and that's because power corrupts the 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 relationship to power alters you know and governs your motivated reasoning
1: yeah, Game of Thrones portrays that pretty well.
0: Yeah, right. I think it does it very well sometimes. My one problem with Game of Thrones in general is that I'm not sure, for all of its like, we're the dark, hard, realistic fantasy. You know, like, <laughs> I actually find Tolkien far more believable. Fascinating. How come? What? Well, given all the fantastical elements and magic. Let's take the Battle of Minas Tirith, for example, right? Like, you know, Battle of the Plenor Fields, right? If you think about this battle here for a second, for all that Game of Thrones is like, this is how people really act. Like that final battle between like the ice zombies and mm. was really bad, yeah, you know, and yeah. it was just plain good guys versus bad guys without any depth to it at all. Yeah. But at the Battle of the Plunder Field, Denthor's going insane, mm-hmm. right? He's ready mm-hmm. to burn his son alive after mm-hmm. he sent his son on a suicide mission. Well, he has no son. Well, right, he has yeah. no... After he sent his son who he doesn't love or forgets that he loves, you know, or whatever... You know, and he is in the books, not because he's an asshole, but it's because he's been so corrupted by looking, using this object, the plant here. Yeah. Yeah. He's been so corrupted by Sauron's vision that he can't see anything other than despair. In the end, that's the final battle. And it's filled with people with a variety of motivations and variety of places that they're in in this moment, you know, and Game of Thrones, eh,
2: well, there's good guys, there's bad guys. <laughs> you can also take Saruman.
0: Right, Saruman, right, is yeah. a great example too, right? You know, the whole book. Like, here's this guy who's an angel mm-hmm. sent over by the chief archangel to resist evil itself, and he becomes so enraptured in his, I need to find this tool to fight evil that he gets corrupted himself. <laughs> That's a far more believable talk about identity like ident- how people's identities get warped and corrupted than like the kind of Game of Thrones well everybody's just
2: pure Nietzschean will to power and that no <laughs> look yeah. at uh Theoden and power and right. your relationship around it oh, what's what's the worm guy's name Wormtongue um, Grimer yes yeah what happens to him once he goes away. Once that power is taken away, Theoden's power comes back.
0: Right, right. And that's another part, right? So like, Theoden, here's a guy who's been so corrupted by magic, but Mm -hmm. you know, he's been so altered that he can't tell where he is. And so all his actions are governed by this fact that his son died, and he missed that, and he's longing to be the great king at the end of his line. That's his motivation. And But that ends up producing a much more believable character than again that kind of Nietzschean will to power everybody's dark and just out for themselves that ends up in the Game of Thrones universe. I think Martin has a grasp on like how realpolitik works. That's Mm -hmm. absolutely true. But when it comes to the individual characters, I always find Tolkien's characterization much better. You know, because not everybody's just this simplistic. I'm out for myself, you know, we're all clones of Tyrion in the end, whether we're working for good things or bad things, realpolitik-wise, we're all just Tyrions, you -hmm. know, it's like, well, no, like, (laughs) people are more complicated than that, you know? (laughs) We're messy.
2: Yeah, we're messy people, and Tolkien gets that, so. Well, I mean, look at his writing, like, every single person has to go through some identity crisis in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. Like, getting back to identity, right? Yeah. I mean... That's the huge, right? Is Aragorn going to be king or is he going to be... what Boromir. Yeah, Boromir. Um, right. Boromir. I mean, Frodo at the very end. Oh, Gaia. Um, right. yeah. Right. I mean, the list Same. goes on and on. Yeah. You could just call Lord of the Rings just identity crisis of, of Middle-earth. And that's an a <laughs> really apt title. No, absolutely.
0: And mm-hmm. the good people are good because they root themselves in their identity of what their true mission is. Mm-hmm. You know, which I think actually is a key to identity is calling calling roots your identity. Hmm. I think you see that in Northern Rings, right? Because, like, you know, I have to destroy the ring. Like, that's what roots Frodo and Sam. Sauron or Saruman get lost because they're uprooted from their calling, you know, what they were originally created and called to be, you know, in this universe.
2: I'm just thinking about what Merry and Pippin, what their identity crisis is. Uh, Where's the next meal coming from? Yeah, Yeah. that's from...
0: Are they courageous? You know, I I think is part of it. I think their identity crisis is do we have a role to play in this Mm. amongst all these heroes and supermen and literal kings, you know, and wizards? And do we, (laughs) the two ordinary hobbits, (laughs) you know, have our role to play? Yeah. The answer is yes, right? Like one kills the Witch King of Agmar or allows the Witch
1: King of Agmar to be killed. And, right. In their ways, they become very integral. Right. Right.
0: They unleash the ends. But I think that's their identity crisis is, do we have vocation?
1: Do we have role? Well, and, and that begs the question then, are we what we do? Or are we what our intentions are? What is identity? What are we? Mm-hmm. How do we self-identify? In the U.S., I think we very frequently align vocation with identity because one of the first questions people ask when they meet someone is, oh, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, what are the deepest concerns in your soul? Yeah. You know?
2: right. But is that how you identify, or is that how people identify you? Because I feel like it's more about how people identify you. Like, oh, hey, I know this person works there. I know this person does this. Yeah. It's a way to cubbyhole you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But like that's how your actions are. more. It's, that's how you are identified, mm-hmm. not your identity.
0: I think we also make a basic mistake often when we like equate job with
2: calling and vocation
0: the totality of what's summed up with the word calling or vocation is not just
2: your job well i mean i know two of us here are calling definitely needs our vocation dan well
0: (laughs) my calling and
2: my vocation
0: (laughs) highly overlap
2: right you know
0: like they are (laughs) like what i get paid to do And what my vocation, like what my calling is, like to the point where they call my job a call, right? Like that's literally what separates it from a job is that it's called a call, not a job. Yeah. I'm weird. (laughs) (laughs) No! (laughs) You know? (laughs) Wait, I must recover from the shock of hearing that news. Yeah, like I'm odd. (laughs) Don't, don't. But like for most human beings, job is a piece of that larger thing. That's call or vocation, mm-hmm. you know? but it's
1: not the only bit, you know, it's not the only piece. The bulk of our waking hours are at the job. Right. So it would be very hard for that not to influence your sense of self-identity. Oh,
0: it absolutely. I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't influence. It's just that it's one building block of a whole thing. Yeah. Our culture kind of like assumes that they're one in the... You know, yeah, like, oh, yeah.
1: yeah, like, okay, you're a... <laughs> well, and we reinforce it, <laughs> yeah. right, with our with our surnames, uh-huh. because mm-hmm. the surnames began primarily as your occupation. You know, right. John Smith, William Carpenter.
2: Nelson, son of Nell. Son of Nell, right. Yeah. right.
1: Mashalko, swamp dweller. Camp Ice. only
2: you know way what it was? Camp me.
1: Those who live by the field. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so you get to live by a field. Yeah. My ancestors were in a swamp. <laughs> yeah. I was just son of Nell. I don't know anything about about where I live. Gee.
0: It was the Netherlands, to be clear. It was all technically underwater. (laughs) Snow. Yeah. Norway. Yeah,
2: That's all I can say.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, a job definitely plays a role in it. You know, and I, I think all of our jobs drew bike fixing, all the things you do. <laughs> yeah, I, said, like yeah. Right. I like how that gave you pause. And like what the hell do you do? Well, Dad? I do know, but it's like trying to sum it all up. But even that, right? Trying to sum yeah. it all up. Like my dad's like that, you know, he has like a thousand different entrepreneurial things going on and yeah. that sums up a lot. You know, that is a piece of his identity and it it does talk about who he is in some ways, you know. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: I uh, thought of the best point. Yeah. Identity is about your relationships. Because we just went, like, we just made the point of our families. That's how we identify ourselves. You know, our identity is more about our relationships with the world, our yep. relationship with our job, our relationships to people. Mm-hmm. And that's
1: rooted in our family.
2: Can be. It's like a pyramid, right? You know, like there's
0: blocks you put in place. And I think, absolutely, family, no matter what, whether your relationship is good or bad or somewhere in between helps define your identity absolutely you know to use my wife's example right she's born and raised alabamian who lives in ohio you know and that's part of yeah (laughs) the rest of our family literally lives you know within 20 minutes of each other in birmingham alabama she's the sorry stan i'm gonna quote you on this her (laughs) father called her the geographically inconvenient daughter (laughs) awesome You know, like that's part of the identity, right? You know, it's like family and relationship to place, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely govern it. Absolutely.
1: What then makes us us? You can have all those external influences, Mm -hmm. right? It still boils down to who you see yourself as and how accurate is that?
0: It's not just how you see yourself, right? We tell kids this. It's like, it doesn't matter what other people think of you. It's like, no, it actually does. (laughs) (laughs) And to say anything else is actually kind of lying. It does matter. So I think it is that talk about relationship. It's that relationship between, you know, if we can bring God into the conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, what God has called you to be and calls you to do. And that relationship and the relationship of who you are with your family and who you are to yourself and who you Mm -hmm. are to the people around you. All those help. Govern our building blocks of those identities.
1: Yeah. All right. I use a case study asking for mm-hmm. a friend. Hi, me. Mm-hmm. I still haven't figured out who I am. Mm-hmm. I still feel adrift. I still feel lost. I haven't figured out my calling. Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to be doing here? Mm-hmm. You know, all these decades. Mm-hmm.
0: Diagnosed Dan's calling. Yeah. Getting to
1: the roots of what we're talking about. If mm-hmm. we're going to analyze characters and their identities, actors and their identities, mm-hmm. who are we? And I've known people who. Like in your case, you mm-hmm. had a calling, right? Yep. Pastor Bob, before you, mm-hmm. has the famous story of actually hearing God's voice yeah, yeah, yeah. like he was sitting next to him, telling him, this is what you're going to do next. Right. And I'm sitting here like, oh, look at all these cool options. I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. Interesting thing
0: about all those callings is like parts of their identity, like everybody, you know, they always bring up as reasons why they can't do what they do. You know, and then God always says, well, that's why I'm telling you to do it, which is an interesting, like, you know, Jeremiah says, I'm too young. He's like a teenager, basically, when God calls him, you know, and yeah. so, like, youth is a part of his identity, and he says, well, this identity means <laughs> I can't do this, <laughs> yeah. and God says, no, no, you're fine. <laughs>
2: yeah. Moses can't speak. So right, his Moses brother... can't speak, and yeah. on top of that, yeah. right,
0: like, I think, if you've ever seen the movie Prince of Egypt, the cartoon, mm-hmm. like, there's this point where he goes, you know, I was the son of Pharaoh, like how can i even speak to these people that piece of identity to moses those pieces of identity you know that yeah. moses i'm i can't speak i'm a murderer
1: but see, in, in those cases, right? Mm-hmm. God is an active catalyst yeah. mm-hmm. in shaping their identity. Mm-hmm. Right? Active catalyst. That, yeah. that's, that's my point Because right. so yeah. I suspect most people are like me. If they don't have a right. voice. You don't, or... you don't have that voice. You don't
2: have that Go clear direction. Right? I've got a core.
1: I have a core of morality, and that is going to help determine mm-hmm. which of those options I'm going to take. Yeah. But I don't have, and I suspect most people If they aren't born with a clear vision to begin with, and they don't have that intercession, that divine intercession that comes, how do we define our identities then if we don't feel we've got that direction?
2: But what if you don't realize it? Callings for here at church, Media Loft, this podcast. Mm -hmm. I can say for sure, I'm called to be here on a Thursday. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I am called here to be at church a couple Sundays a month. Mm -hmm. like. That's my calling. That's definitely one of your callings. Yeah. I mean... And the compost. Yeah. Right. Is it our calling if we can identify the calling? Oh, I think it takes a while to identify the calling. I mean, took my mom till she was 40. Uh, pastor Bob, after he was a lawyer, became right. a pastor. Right. He was yeah. a
0: lawyer for a good long time. You know, I, mine came in college. Yeah, That's almost where I don't have a good answer because mine was so, like, forceful. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like, I had so little, like... Not that it was like direct, like, you know, like Pastor Bob having direct communication, you know. But like mine was very like, I didn't really have an option. And I never did feel like I had an option. So like, I almost don't have a good answer for that just based on my history. I I will side with Drew in that I, I think you're living it out even if you don't know it. And I would say that because you spend an inordinate amount of time here at church <laughs> 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 you know both of you do like doing things for not just this podcast but in various capacities at church so somewhere that not that that is your calling but somewhere that ticks your you know it's authentic to what your calling is yeah you know to
2: it's what, authentic to your identity
0: right it's authentic mm-hmm. to your identity it's authentic to all that stuff I would also say the baseline bottom assumption for identity is, like, you are a baptized child of God. <laughs> you know, like, that is the ba- like the baseline, like, you were baptized into his death, you will be raised into, you know, like, at, at your funeral. Not that I want to do either of your funerals anytime <laughs> soon,
1: but... <laughs> I don't know. What the look Drew is getting right now. <laughs> I like to play in traffic, <laughs> so...
0: <laughs> that is the bottom line identity, right? Like, that is actually what I will say you know, or what some pastor will say at your funeral is what we call commendation on the die and what the Catholics call last rites is child of God. That's what you are. And, and that's kind of like at baseline, if nothing else, this is why Luther always says, remember your baptism. Mm -hmm. Even when you splash your water on your face or, you know, you get caught in the rain, like remember your baptism because at root, that's the, primal identity yeah you know and everything
2: else is just details and those are not necessary what details details right
0: well i mean they're, they're they can be important but you know if all else fails right
1: i mean for you that may be consolation but for me i'm very well aware that there's always that one kid in the family that the dad isn't all that fond of doesn't matter though because you're <laughs> baptized. <laughs> Think about it this way: He's contractually obligated. to love you. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. That's not how baptism works. Boy, you yeah, you just did wonders for my I identity. Know, there, just, every just day. My <laughs> identity. That's not actually how it works. Dan, the contractual <laughs> obligation <laughs> child. Yeah,
0: the the on it right though. Baptism <laughs> 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 has well a shotgun wedding. Right. <laughs> 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 we don't know each other. We're going to get to know each other. It is kind of what it's like. You know, you're a baby. God's up there. It's like we don't know each other yet. We're gonna get to know each other, though. and we're gonna love each other
2: the whole th- way through. It's an arranged marriage. <laughs> Derek's coming back. Yeah. You shut it down for a bit, but Derek's slowly yeah. uh, coming back.
1: Yes, yes. I don't know, but I'm seeing religion in a whole new light now. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I guess I would put it this way: in that, my parents said to me once, they said, "Love is a decision." God's love for us in the sacraments, in our identities, is a decision to love us, not just a feeling. There are places in Scripture where God's very much not happy, yeah. You know, with the people, like Ezekiel is a great example of this. You know, God will say over and over again, like, "I don't particularly like you <laughs> at the moment, but I've decided to love you and I've decided to save you, just to prove to you that I'm God." <laughs> and so, even when God isn't particularly happy with us even when we feel like we're the redheaded stepchild in, you know, the church. Yeah. When we do feel like like you describe that like maybe, you know, like God thinks I'm just too weird to be lovable. The point is God has decided to love us irrevocably. This is part of that line about God doesn't change. You know, yeah. about like his decisions are not arbitrary. They are irrevocable and eternal. There's
2: no going back on that. Question. Mm-hmm. Though. Didn't God change? Not his, I mean, obviously not his love. Yeah. His love didn't change because that is a decision the, the that he made. The
0: orthodox small o answer is that God is immutable, is the technical term, that, that, that at root God is unchanging, right? And this is part of his, that he's in eternity, right? And a Being in eternity, by definition, can't change because it's in eternity, right? And out of that comes things like God's eternal love because he's unchanging, that love... From age to age is the same, you know. Yeah. Now that gets us into a problem because you are correct that if you read your Bibles carefully, it will occasionally say things like, God changed his mind. Yes. <laughs> Which yeah. then you're wondering, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and we could get into all sorts of debates about that. So there's a lot of answers to that question, but that's part of what it means to say God is unchanging. You yeah. know, is that his love for us is unchanging, even when we feel like were too weird to be loved or
1: were the eternal punchline to his cosmic joke. Yeah, that would be so much fun though. <laughs> Maybe that's how he shows his love for you. You know, as my yeah. wife, as my wife's family says,
0: if we didn't love you, we'd just ignore you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's
2: the thing. If I can
1: bring laughter to anyone, yeah.
0: See?
2: Then I am happy. There we go. That is just bring joy. So to sum up the episode, identity, mm-hmm. baptism, mm-hmm. relationships. Right. Hey
1: man. Boy, you summed that up nicely. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. good.
2: We've got a great game today. Our game is favorite weapon in science fiction. I'm choosing a weapon from a more civilized age. Oh
1: uh,
0: you're a lightsaber. Okay, yeah, that's why you wanted to go first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have we ever worked out what actually is a lightsaber? Like, it's not actually light.
1: No, it's a contained plasma energy field. It's a contained
0: plasma energy field? Is that what
1: it is? Yeah, controlled by the Kuiper Crystal. Okay.
0: Okay. I mean, duh. Yeah. I'm just making sure.
2: (laughs) Yeah, didn't you build a lightsaber at Disney World? I did not build a
0: lightsaber. (laughs) They didn't own Star Wars. (laughs) I went to Disney World. (laughs) So lightsaber. I mean, it, it's well, a well. I mean, that, right? no, I
2: just, I just want to say that because that's just like the stupidest cop out that you can make. Yeah. yeah. Also, because we were just talking about weapons, and yeah. line is just fantastic. An elegant weapon for a most civilized
0: time. You know, it's supposedly an elegant weapon, but the way, like in the new trilogy,
2: these things are like claymores. You
0: know, like they're,
2: <laughs> they're like whacking at them like heavy. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, it's not very elegant. Have you seen any of the Star Wars Visions? No, I haven't. yet. No. Okay. I haven't yet either, mm-hmm. but somehow I watched the trailer, which I know is a shocker. Yeah, I know. This is like anathema to your very being. There's like a guy that has um a stick with a with a lightsaber like rotating oh, on the bottom. There's so many different classifications. Versions. Yeah, it's just weird. Yeah. Before Disney
0: torpedoed the entire extended universe, like books, mm-hmm. I remember there was this pretty hilarious moment in one of the books where like Luke was talking about how like Every Jedi has to go through his moment where he flirts with like some unconventional form of lightsaber, <laughs> you know, whether
2: it's <laughs> the dual blade or like, it's like, yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> but anyway. Favorite weapon, Star-Lord's gun. The elemental gun. Ah, yeah. okay. Which, why they don't do it in any of the new stuff is mm-hmm. beyond me. But that would be so freaking awesome. Yeah. Oh, hey, I can just lightning bolt this person. Oh, I can freeze this. I yeah. can just shoot water. Here, Groot, I have your drink. Yeah. There
0: were a lot of missed opportunities yes. for like yes. both great gags and great moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes. All right, that's a good answer.
1: Okay. I'm going to go with one... Not serious and one serious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not serious. The omega thirteen. Let's... Galaxy Quest, uh. <laughs> because pointless. It only sends you back what three seconds in yeah. time. Right. <laughs> I, seriously, <laughs> by the time you realize <laughs> you <laughs> need to use the omega thirteen, you've already passed you've that already three second surpassed. window of opportunity. Yeah, 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 so yeah. it is like the most totally useless weapon useless ever weapon. devised. Right. That's great. Uh, not he ran into a door. <laughs> Yeah, but then taking more than three (laughs) seconds to go back to where the Omega-13 activation is. Because you'll notice it's far away from the bridge doors. (laughs) Rearrange the universe three seconds earlier. We.
0: Right. It's a great little gag, though. (laughs) Yeah, it is. is. It's just a great gag.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go with the Vulcan nerve pinch. Uh,
0: Okay. Mm, Okay.
1: It's highly effective. It is highly effective. Takes a great deal of discipline to master. Right. But is nonviolent at the same time. That's true. Is it nonviolent?
0: It's non lethal. Technically, it's not non violent, but it is non lethal. Yeah. yeah.
2: That explains Civ. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Again. I just did Vulcan North pinch everybody. <laughs> I just realized it. Dan just plays us the Vulcans in every Civ playthrough.
1: <laughs> talk about identity. Yeah, talk about identity. <laughs> right. Oh, well, now you're getting on to me.
2: <laughs> Run before he pinches you. His arms aren't that long, but still. <laughs>
0: uh i will do like you one serious one joking one serious so the joking is the gun that makes you see everything from another point of view in the douglas adams books yes mm-hmm. yeah that right. is one of the greatest <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i don't even like the, that series very much but good job on that that would be a great battle yeah <laughs> because you're <just> like <laughs> if everyone had that weapon right. if you, your point of view would Everybody be going just, around right. yes. um I thought the coolest thing in the world when I first saw the movie was the the first contact phaser rifles. Star Trek oh, first contact yeah. phaser rifles. And it's the first time it actually looked like a real like a weapon. Yeah, <laughs> like because like other than that, like phaser rifles look really bad. <laughs> they were just really bad up to that point. But this was like, no, this is a real thing they keep locked behind a door somewhere in a starship that like This is dangerous. This is it only dangerous. comes out for special times. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I am sold on the first contact phase of Rifle. First contact in general. That era, like, the, the uniforms are best out of first contact. And I actually think the Enterprise-E is the best
1: Enterprise. That movie all around is good. It's well-written, yeah. well-written, well-acted. Even if it's a time thing, like, it's okay. But in this case, they use the time thing well. Yeah. They're only going back because someone else went back. It's kind of like City on the Edge of Forever. In that right, part. right. And they're only going back to correct... Well, and
0: they don't muse on like the <laughs> philosophy of the going back. Like no. They go back, and then
1: it's like, okay, we're fighting the Borg. <laughs> like, okay. And getting back to identity, mm-hmm. the characterization of Zephram Cochran. Right, yeah. Perfect. That's right. I love mm-hmm. how he is actually a very deep anti-hero. Right. Mm-hmm. It's actually like a materialist. <laughs> yeah. He's like
0: anti-Federation <laughs> values and... It's only after, like, years of mythology that he becomes what he is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, That is just brilliant. It is. So anyway, First Contact in general, and the phaser rifle from
1: First Contact. Excellent choice. Yeah.
0: I remember the biggest debate I had in elementary school with my friends was who would win in a fight, the Borg Cube or the Death Star. Uh was like the Borg Cube. The Borg Cube, Cube. yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, the thought was, like, if you could get the, the main
1: weapon of the Death Star rotated in time... Yeah, and the board would have assimilated by the time they've gotten it. Yeah. I mean, right. even powering it up to make the first firing, it's like this right. 30 minute. Right. Yeah, yeah. But if it got its main gun fired on the board cube, the board
2: cube's finished. But they would miss. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They would miss. But also, like, there's not explosives on a board cube. Are there? I understand, wait, you're trying to blow up a planet, you can hit the core, you know, the, the core. Destabilizes and explodes. Destabilizes. Yeah, a ship you you blast because there's explosives on board. There are clearly exploding parts because when they
0: fire all the torpedoes into it it.
2: Is that the torpedo exploding, or are there explosives on the Borg cube? Uh, that's a good question. We didn't can actually consider that part of the debate. Yeah. Also, because I, I would feel like it would just go straight through. It would just like be a big hole. Exactly, and then they would repair it.
1: Plus, the Borg cubes are very porous, right? Mm-hmm. Everything with them is about energy. They use mm-hmm. force fields mm-hmm. to contain
2: atmosphere in their very porous ships.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Their weapons are all energy
2: weapons. And plus, they w- there would be one shot from the Death Star, and if it didn't destroy it, they- their shields would adapt.
0: There was a great also debate when I was in elementary school about whether— the turbo lasers on the Death Star would count toward assimilation of the big gun? Is the big mm. gun just a larger version of a turbo laser? And if it is, when all the little guns were firing at the Borg cube, would they be adapted already by the time?
2: No, yeah. it couldn't be because the Death Star main lasers from Kyber Crystals. Oh, the turbo important. lasers are definitely not Kyber crystal based. So, if they were smart enough mm-hmm. and could aim well enough with all of the turbo lasers, it's plausible. It's plausible. But more than likely not. We're sorry, Samuel
0: Jackson. We couldn't get you on to talk about your identity, but we'll get you on next week. <laughs> your agent will. Really. Right.
2: In the meantime, this has been Church in Space in three D. See you, folks. Hey, Dan. Yeah. Did you bring the phone booth? Oh, I left it with my Superman costume. That's sad.
1: Yeah, but I do look rather fetching in blue tights, don't we all? Oh.